0: And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast.
1: A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they
0: trade in is not wheat,
2: they trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism.
3: I think it's really important
4: to sort of express solidarity globally.
3: It really is a deal by corporations
0: for corporations.
5: The union forever defending our rights. If
0: you think the ABC's left wing,
5: don't listen to this program.
1: Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am, streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au.
5: Solidarity forever!
2: Good morning, everybody. Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast, or actually 3CR Breakfast, one of the many breakfasts, well, seven breakfasts over the week, Uh, and um, today we're going to dip into a bit of film, we're going to go to some protest, and we're going to hear about the week as it's rounded up, and uh, we're going to hear about some... Uh, assistance that has been given out by Traveller's Aid and we're going to find out about uh, Palm Sunday Rally, which is on tomorrow. It happens every year, Palm Sunday. It's uh, about peace, uh, refugees and uh, all things positive leading into Easter. Uh, the film we're going to be talking about is The Duke. Uh, we're going to talk to the producer, Nikki Benton, Benton. It's on at the moment. It's an English film but it's about a, a working class uh, autodidact, a man called De Kempton Bunton, uh, a true story from 1961 and it's a fascinating film on a whole lot of levels. It's worth going to see because it's fun but it's also got a, a much more uh, um, interesting uh, reflections on class and, uh, working class fight back. It's a very interesting film. Uh, the people we're going to talk to later is, uh, uh Sam Noonan from Fireproof Australia. Uh, they're, um, They've been doing protests at Knee Bay, stopping traffic on the roads. You may have heard that New South Wales has just passed last Friday some laws that uh, put some he- very heavy, hefty um, fines and uh, up to two years prison for demonstrators, uh, directed at climate demonstrators really, uh, stopping traffic on roads. It's all designed around uh, demonstrators who... Uh, on roads, on roads, because uh, anyway we'll hear more about it. But the uh, fireproof Australia has got quite specific um, aims. They they are uh, de- demanding that there should be uh, a proper uh, fire fighting fleet of planes. Uh, uh, that the federal government needs to actually step up when it comes to. Uh, the ongoing disasters that have been happening and they're not going to let them go. They're ordinary people and they're standing up, they say. Um, Kevin is going to tell us about so many things that have been happening in the week, including the uh, federal uh, Liberals uh, shamelessly stacking the uh, Administrative uh, Tribunal and the uh, Fair Work Commission yet again with uh, more of their cronies. Uh, because they obviously think that it's important uh, as they go out the door hopefully at the next election that they uh stack everything in in the um that Australia should continue on a path of complete inequality which is what they have been uh, trying to uh establish i mean who who else would slash uh, public education funding, except for uh, the Koshes uh, in New Sa- in the uh, US, and uh, followed by their little helpmates uh, Morrison and his uh, merry band. Uh, where you think it doesn't have any um, sense involved? All you have to do is look at the unctuous far right uh, with their hands in everybody's pockets. Anyway. Um, uh, let's move on. Uh, let's, less, let's be less um, annoyed. Let's move on to something a bit more useful. PX Farno is a Pacifica LGBTIQ plus podcast providing a platform for Pacifica communities to unpack and discuss the narratives and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Presented by Pacific X, a collective that celebrates Pacific Island LGBTIQ communities through meaningful connections that honours cultural and gender identities. You can catch the podcast series every Sunday during Out of the Pan at around 12.30pm or on your favourite podcast platform. Supported by 3CR and funded by the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Programme, for more information, go to 3CR.org.au forward slash out of the pan.
0: A system based on profits, inequality, and oppression cannot deliver a society that works for ordinary people. Capitalism has to go. During this global pandemic, millions of lives have been sacrificed by the Let It Rip strategy. All for the sake of the capitalist economy. The far right is on the offensive in Parliament and on the streets, and all the while, our planet continues to burn. Now, more than ever, we need revolution. We need socialism. This April, the Marxism 2022 conference will bring together revolutionaries and radicals from across the globe to address the pressing need to fight the right and rebuild the left. Talks, discussions, film screenings and interviews will cover the history of working-class struggle and burning questions for socialists today. Get your ticket to the biggest left-wing conference in Australia at marxismconference.org. We have a world to win.
2: Marxism 2022 is a 3CR supporter. And you're with Annie on 3CR Breakfast. And as I threatened, uh, I've got a a chat that I did with... uh, Nikki Bentham, who is the producer of The Duke. In fact, I think um, Nikki Bentham is actually an Australian, uh, so don't be deceived by her English accent. Not that it really matters. Um, and uh, you'll see why I thought it was worthwhile sharing um, a discussion about this rather interesting film, The Duke. Well, The Duke is a great film.
6: So how did you get to be the producer on this? How did this all happen? Um, So it was about, uh, it was in 2013, I got a random email from a guy called Christopher Bunton um, telling me that he had this amazing story in his family and that his grandfather had stolen a painting from the National Gallery and held it to ransom um, to raise money for his his campaign and um I thought oh my gosh that sounds like an incredible story and he was just he was looking for um someone that that might be interested to turn it into a film and he said you know do you think this could be a good movie and um I thought it just sounded too good to be true really and um and so I did some research and it all checked out and then I um and then I jumped on it and and sort of negotiated uh, the rights with the family, and then um, and then started building the story and the project from there.
2: All right, Where, did you organise the writer and all that sort of stuff, or tell me about? Yeah. That
6: yeah so um then I um there was a lot of material to to wade through because Kempton wrote memoirs obviously unpublished but um were an amazing resource uh we also had the court transcripts and the case files and um and Kempton's plays so There was a huge amount of of story, and it took some time for me to really immerse myself in all of that and and find out what the story of the film would be. Um, And so spent some time working on that. And then I took it to Pathé here in London, and, um, and they came on board to finance it. And then we set about bringing on board the writers. And we, because there was so much material, and I think because it's got this real combination of a family drama with a lot of heart and this fantastical heist and crackpot scheme um, with this really hilarious character at the centre of it all there was quite a lot of material to deal with and to fit into a 90-minute film um, and um and we approached Richard Bean who's probably most famous for his play One Man Two Governors and has done a lot of theatre work and he'd actually been working quite a lot I mean from way back on um theatre and and comedy sketches with um, Clive Coleman who was a former barrister and had actually been the BBC's legal correspondent and so the the two of them were just this perfect package that ki- kind of covered all of those sort of the head and heart and all of the elements that we were trying to squeeze into this story and I think they did such a beautiful job well, of they did. navigating it all.
2: Yeah I, I mean it's and, a very John uh, Mortimer
6: style depth has it? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um I, I think, yeah, you're right. And it's um, I think that they, you know, um Richard Bean is from Hull in the Northeast. He he really, really understood the character of Kempton and that place and that time. And I think and that was really important that we we captured that authenticity and that it wasn't kind of just a rose tinted view of the past, which I think sometimes these period films can tend to be, and they they don't really um, ring true. And because this is a true story and I was working with the family and had, had assured them that I was going to be faithful to, to their story, but also to the time and the place, which is really important in it. Um well that's
2: interesting so. to me because it's nineteen sixty one, which is an absolutely pivotal period of time as it goes into it's like you've taken it's not just a true story, which is compelling, but it's about England, isn't it? It's it's yeah. like this amazing film that is full of characters and class and England at a point in history before now yeah
6: yeah and I think I mean to me um obviously I wasn't in England at the time I wasn't even alive at the time but (laughs) so um so that was a lot of research for me to get into but I think people think of England in the 60s and immediately think of the Beatles and the swinging Mm -hmm. 60s but really 1961 was still very much in the shadow of the war and it was that moment where things were starting to recover a little bit and there was there was sort of a, a glimpse of that that kind of liberation and that swinging 60s was on the horizon this sense that maybe people could could um, stand up for themselves a little bit. Maybe they could dream a little bit bigger was, it felt like there were glimpses of that. I mean,
2: mean, his revolution was that uh, the elderly wouldn't have to pay for a TV license for God's sake. (laughs)
6: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which, which sounds completely crazy, but, um, but I think when you understand where his where that came from No, no, from. The, but everything's so locked down uh, England's yeah so locked down yeah yeah um exactly no it was very limiting you know um and so even just the idea that he had um his whole life um had these dreams that you know frankly were beyond his station that he felt like he was going to get to speak to the world whether it was through his campaigns or through his plays that he wrote and he never let go of that dream and um, I mean I guess ultimately it's kind of been fulfilled now that the film has been made. Yeah I know because he's a great great person. Yeah he is I mean you know he must have been a complete nightmare to live with <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, but he's
2: we've met I've met people like this.
6: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, but yeah, he's um, just a wonderful larger than life character. And it was a real gift having his memoirs and, and all of his plays, his writing to delve into because, um, you know, we just got such a strong sense of his voice and um, and, and his, his passion and determination completely dog, Headed, and yeah, I mean Dorothy was a, a bit of a saint. I think. Uh, putting but up but with also, him.
2: you were able to get such great people to play the parts. I mean, mm. it's great to see Helen Mirren, um, and uh, Jim Broadbent acting their little hearts out. It
6: was just yeah, amazing. yeah. I mean, it was it was amazing to come to work every morning and just watch them. Have front row seats, watching them do their thing, um, they were really incredible, and I think Jim we had in mind from the very beginning because i mean you you might have seen the picture of the real Kempton Bunton, but there is a real physical likeness, but also Jim has just got that you know he's very that he's got that humanity and that warmth to him, but he's also got a real cheekiness and a and a humor. Um, and he just seemed perfect from, from day one. So we were very lucky that that he recognised himself in it and, and all of the qualities of the script and came on board. And then Helen, you know, obviously that was really casting against type, and we just didn't know if she'd have an interest in playing this kind of, you know, playing a domestic cleaner who's, gonna look pretty plain and um you were so used to seeing her in a gown but but weren't weren't
2: they living recognizing their past they would have been very young when this period of history was
6: I mean they must
2: I mean they weren't
6: famous all their lives (laughs) no no of course of course and but still I mean it's um, you know, it's quite something to ask an actress of her stature, who can pick and choose anything, to like come and and wear no makeup and hang out in in the northeast during the winter. <laughs> um, and yeah, but but actors yeah, like she, actors like to act. They do, and you know, we almost didn't send it to her because we thought, "Would is she really gonna go for this?" But um it was it was a very quick yes from her she loved the writing and you're right that she recognized her own childhood within it I mean she was from uh she's from London but um from a a very big working class family and um I think her mother was um the youngest of 13 children um so so she really um she really gravitated towards that family drama and those and those dynamics of a family that really um fallen on hardship and and had had a difficult time but found a way to make the most and stay together.
2: I must admit uh i i felt i mean because I'm in australia right and um and I'm watching this and I'm thinking not only is it a fantastic film on oh, so many levels, but given the what's going on politically in England at the moment, it's almost like this film is like a beacon. It's like people remember, remember who you are sort yeah. of a film. Is it like that? Is it being taken that way?
6: Yeah. I, I mean, I think it has been. We've had a phenomenal response from audiences here and, um and it is it is interesting because we had a great response from, from critics, which is, you know, a big sigh of relief, obviously. But until people see it, you, you just don't know how it's going to be taken in by the wider public. And, um, and you're right that it does seem to have really found a place in people's hearts, that there is something that they recognise about what it what it is that endures what it is that delights us and how um, and and, you know there's a very strong community message within it because Kempton was really all about fighting for the little guys for those unheard voices and making sure that um, as as a society we were looking out for those that are the most vulnerable rather than those that have the most privilege, we always know, we can always hear from them and know how they're doing, <laughs> but it's the the ones that, um, that might be isolated or ignored that he was really fighting for. And I think especially after the last couple of years that we've all had, um, that, that idea of uh, a community really only being as strong as its most vulnerable members, um is very pertinent
2: the um the script in the courtroom where he gets to speak and I'm assuming they were the words he actually uttered are
6: incredibly profound i like to say he's a very yeah. smart guy yeah um not uh, it wasn't all lifted directly from the transcripts um there was but um actually probably the most unbelievable bits were like the um the bucket shop sequence that was all (laughs) that was all him um but in terms of his philosophy there were certain things that he said and he alluded to um within the trial but then also because we had his memoirs we were able to mine a bit deeper into his thought process and his view on the world and so um yeah i agree that the writers did a really really beautiful job of articulating all of that in the court and and um it was really you know that was finally he got his stage he got his audience in court one of the old bailey and he was not going to miss that opportunity to put on a show and and say what he wanted to say and so yeah reading the court transcripts was incredible because he really um he really made the most of that opportunity
2: and we can't forget that uh not just is these um the set designs the way the way it's being put together as well as the supporting cast incredibly strong you've got a very
6: strong cast yeah and really that's down to the wonderful Roger Michelle because uh he was so popular with actors because he had um such a uh he loved actors and and just had such a, a kindness and an openness and um and had a real reputation amongst actors for just letting people just bringing out the best in them and and letting them do their best work and so you know uh, that was just a huge privilege to be able to work with such an incredible cast and um and and see them work with Roger as well mm.
2: um so it's got it uh, it it's obviously been very popular in England I mean we're yeah. now seeing it here but it's very popular there
6: yeah, it's it has been a big hit here, which has been really nice because obviously, you know, cinemas have had a, a bit of a rough trot and um and uh and especially for that older audience that this film is um really geared towards um a lot of people have come back to the cinema for the first time to see The Duke and and I think considering it is all about community and it is full of a lot of laughs, it's a great one to see in the cinema. So it's been really heartening that it's um it's had a a good showing here.
2: And I, I
6: was really, surprised. I mean, I
2: expected it to be uh, well done and quirky, but I hadn't quite uh, realised how profound it was going to be. I, I think it's yeah. quite a profound film. And uh, yeah. And the timing is so important. I think England uh, reassessing itself, and and, I mean, especially with Brexit and stuff like that, people have been very – I've got the impression that there are, you know, a small majority of people who are are thoroughly Brexited, but people hadn't really realised what it was they were getting into. And it was all, but it was all about identity. They were feeling they were losing their identity. And this film actually discusses those issues. It's really important. Yeah,
6: Yeah, it does. And it's interesting that um, the film has appealed to people on both sides of the political spectrum, um, which I think has been really interesting because it is sort of, I guess it is as you say it's not about taking sides it's about it's about remembering who we are as mm-hmm. as a society and what that that means so it's um yeah it's been really interesting to see that uh, how um how how different people from different political persuasions have have gravitated to it and and felt that they recognize themselves and their struggles within it
2: um, oh, and I and I yeah. also thought that one of the reasons for why such high-caliber actors would be so interested in doing it was because it gave them an opportunity to sort of express what they wanted to express. You know what I mean? Like, everybody needs to have some, their say in this, you know?
6: Yeah. I think that, um, I think, of course, you know, they gravitated to... The overall message of the film, but I think, um, but I think in a way it's funny how you know we finished the film in um, 2020, um, and we were shooting it in 2019, and um, you know obviously in that time its resonance has grown really. I mean the film itself hasn't changed. But it has taken on a different, um, you know, perhaps a a stronger meaning. And um, so I think, I mean, to be honest, I think that the cast was really drawn to the script that is just so delicious and fun. And uh, and working with Roger was a huge draw. And then, you know, we've all just kind of watched it grow in that time. And um yeah, it's, it is fascinating.
2: It also is a little bit like um the uh, uh, Erling Studios best comedy. Yeah. i going to admit.
6: Yeah. Yeah. So. And that's what we were, we were leaning on was, I mean, we looked a lot at the, you know, the new wave of British cinema like Saturday night, Sunday morning and a taste of honey. We sort of, we looked at all of those, those films as reference but then very much the Ealing comedies and that idea of the you know the the little man speaking truth to power um yeah. and the the joy to be had in that so yeah we had lots of great references to draw on a great cinematic history
2: yeah I was telling someone about my daughter in fact about the uh the cleaners who uh, Roger Morley and the cleaners who did the stock market, you know, the whole, that whole idea of the little people talking to power. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks so much, Annie. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.
7: What's your excuse for living like? Somebody different, you're nobody different You're just somebody Tell me what's the reason behind all your frustrations It's a bad situation, can you trust me?
8: Hi, I'm Munera from Fitzroy Primary School and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR.
2: And you're back with Danny on 3CR Breakfast and we've got Danny on the line from Fireproof. G'day, Danny.
9: Good morning, how are you?
2: Good. In fact, uh, it's uh, pretty extraordinary what uh, Fireproof is doing at the moment is giving, given the uh, New South Wales government's... Uh, passing of laws to ban, effectively, um, demonstrations on roads. Can you speak to this, what's going on?
9: Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's obviously something that we didn't quite expect when we started to do this, but it's something that we thought may possibly happen. I always like there's a a sort of a Gandhi quote that goes that, first, they ignore you, which has happened for decades in, in this field. Then they laugh at you, which is mocking climate change. It's not real. What a load of garbage greenies. And then third, they fight you. And that's sort of where we are now. And fourth, we win. So hopefully this (laughs) is a good sign. So, um, yeah, but some strange circumstances brought this around, although they'll they'll try and say that these law changes were brought in by um, the actions of us and a blockade Australia. But really, this is something they've wanted to do for a long time. It seems to be the the rightward creep of Australian politics towards shutting down all protest. And um, they've given a good shot with this, so uh, we're rolling with it and we'll see where we go. But it's not just a matter of affecting climate justice. It's going to affect all forms of progressive justice-seeking First Nations, refugees... BLM, LGBT, everyone's going to be affected by this. So hopefully we're going to have some great court cases soon and uh, this will be shown for the draconian pile of garbage that it really is.
2: Yeah. Uh, as you, your uh, release uh, points out, that climate activists were sometimes depicted as dangerous radicals, but the truly dangerous radicals are the countries that are increasing the production of fossil fuels. This is what this is. Uh, climate change uh, standing there saying that uh, the federal government uh, and other governments in Australia have to actually put their, pull their sleeves up and get on with... Um, dealing with the outcomes of climate change like the floods the fires this is what you're about isn't it
9: yes so obviously there's lot we've been asking for you know an end to fossil fuels and things like that for a long time which are all worthy goals but at the same time we are already locked into at least 1.5 degrees and unless we make drastic changes we're probably going to have two or more degrees of um climate change and that's going to be devastating. So although we can't have these magic panaceas of having carbon capture and sequestration technology that'll just appear right when we need them, we do need to look at adaptation. So we're trying to get some of those things that can really help us. So we've got three basic demands. They're all doable, they're all reasonable, and they should already have been implemented. But, you know, the government don't like to do things they need to do. They like to do things they want to do.
2: This under this underlines the fact that you you uh, your group uh, fireproof uh, says that you're very ordinary people that are standing up.
9: Yeah, well, obviously we've um, many of us have been involved in activism and social justice sort of issues, but we are we're just normal Australians. There are you know, doctors, nurses, fireys, musicians, um, actors. All sorts of people from all different walks of life that all have this thing in common, which is we follow the science. We listen to those who hold the hose is our little little phrase because you know we've got um, fireys and uh, all sorts of people saying that we need to do something
2: about this, and that's why we're here. Yeah, well, um, on this station, we applaud you. We don't, we don't think you have to stand up and say you're ordinary Australians. We already know you are, and you can be activists as to your heart's content. But it's interesting that you have to say it. You know, you have to make sure that it's put out there, that uh, um, people who stand up in Australia over these issues aren't uh, mad coots, effectively.
9: Yeah, like I I thought Australia famous for the tall poppy syndrome, but it seems that we're famous for the opposite at the moment. It's it's fairly disheartening because the main criticisms criticisms that we seem to get are that we're selfish, which is hilarious. My wife (laughs) and I have been... We moved out of home virtually, left our 19-year-old daughter at home, and my guide dog isn't even here, because my wife and I are blind, by the way, just in case the audience didn't know. Mm. Um, And we've spent weeks and weeks you know, planning and getting ready for this. We're giving up everything. And that's the whole point. The selfishness is thinking in a very short-term manner and saying, oh, no, I've been held up on the bridge for 10 minutes. The long-term thinking is, if this message doesn't get out, if we don't start to make some adaptations as well as to drastically reduce carbon emissions and start drawdown, we're all going to be in a hell of a lot of trouble. So...
2: Can you give my listeners a little bit of an understanding of uh, what it was like to be doing this, um, it, it being on the road there? Tell us about what's going on.
9: So in this particular movement, I haven't been on the road. We've been very strategic about this. We've had teams that we've worked out. Some people have what we would call red rolls, which is, you know, the the aim is to, to get arrested if that happens. Yes. Yeah. And um, there are others, <clears throat> others of us who need to be there in the background, looking after media, looking after regen, looking after all those sort of things that are really important to keeping a cohesive team together. Because if, obviously, if we all just went on the road and all went to jail, yeah. then
2: it would be over, Rover.
9: <laughs> exactly. But um, my wife's been out on the road several times, and I, uh, I know by sleeping next to her and hearing her nightmares and things that that takes a toll. And I think there's a little bit of... Like, I had sat in the road before. My wife and I did an action in Kayama a while ago. Mm. And that was certainly... Excuse the pun for a couple of bloody But That was very eye-opening because we um, copped an awful lot of abuse. We copped death threats. Oh. Our support team were threatened. People even said that blind people weren't able... You know, obviously, we got put on the road by them and we were being used by them because we don't have autonomy as disabled oh. people. And <laughs> right. Right. Mm. but yeah it's certainly interesting because all we are is lazy selfish um hippies who should get a job and the majority of us have jobs and those who don't have given up their jobs to do this because it's so vital yeah
2: yeah, yeah. now let's get back to the demands i w- i didn't Absolutely. mean to cut you off about the demands i, I want to uh, focus on your demands now
9: okay so the demands are in no particular order because um you know we're fireproof australia but when we started this campaign, all of a sudden all uh, came along all the floods. So <laughs> yes, we sort of looking no. at flood-proofing as well. That was sort of um, in- interesting. So we have, the, I guess, the main demand at the moment is that all survivors of unnatural weather conditions, such as floods and fires, get rehomed at the expense of the federal government because that's what the government's for, to support the people, not to, um, you know, lock us up and not to criticise us um, Two. We want to have uh, smoke filtration put into all schools, all aged care and disability facilities because it's Australian to protect the most vulnerable and to protect the future generation because we've done this to them and we need to do something to fix that or to help us to um, move in through that. And the third is that, especially because of Black Summer and these increasingly common megafires... We demand that the government pays for a an aerial tanker fleet to do water bombing over the on the fires because the sooner they're put out, the less chance they become mega fires. So it's you know, mitigation control. And you know, Greg Mullins is um, Australia's most famous firefighter. He's, he's been on lots of boards and and he's been sort of asking for this for many years. The fireies sort of asked. I think it was 2017.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I've seen him speak. uh, In actual fact, uh, he, uh, as a professional uh, in this area, felt that he had to actually stand up. It was so grotesque that the federal government refused to actually meet with them.
9: Yes, exactly. And I saw a lovely little, or I didn't, I heard a lovely little meme the other day and it basically said, the RFS, thanks Scott Morrison, for giving forty-four million dollars to Hillsong Church, but mm. are sad that they never got twenty to buy their tankers.
10: Mm, yeah,
9: and that's sort of the state of things right now. It would, you know, it's compared to tanks or missiles or submarines that don't exist. Doing these things is so affordable and such a no-brainer. We have, you know, we, the government's betraying us.
2: Um, have I know that uh, Blockade Australia and. Uh, I mean, people have been arrested, haven't they?
9: Oh yeah, like uh, uh, blockade Australia.
2: They're amazing. Got... What heroes!
9: Oh, they like they absolutely are. Like I'm, I'm not a um a spry person. You get my fat butt up onto one of those poles, it'll probably bend and snap. But but what they do is just amazing. And the thing that they about them that I absolutely love is that they just go and do it. I know. There's no ifs so or buts, and they have one simple demand: we are going to. Um, impact infrastructure because, you know, they know that we've got to stop oil and gas and coal and the best way to upset the people that are running it is to hurt their bottom dollar because all they care about is money, not human life.
2: I mean, it's quite clear, or else they'd be doing something about it. I mean, it's not like... It's like they're juicing the lemon for the last scraps of uh, wealth and uh, that... uh, in fact because otherwise you'd say that they've uh, mentally uh, deficient or um, uh, oh, no, you, you it, know what I mean like it doesn't make any insanity. sense
9: to, to to be desperate over the last few crumbs of profit that you can eke from a dying planet at the expense of the future of all mankind and probably most species on the face of the earth it is absolute insanity and we We just don't understand that sort of thinking. It's sociopathic, if you want me to be totally honest. And the problem is that these people have been doing this for so long, they've got so much entrenched power and they've got so much narcissism that they're not going to see what needs to happen. Where do their kids go? Do their kids get to um, go to New Zealand and live in their billionaire's bunkers? Because there'll be nothing else left if we don't do some drastic work now.
2: Um, So what's the plan? What's going to happen uh, moving on?
9: well yeah it's, uh, we're always trying to pivot to what's going on, so obviously these new draconian laws that have come in have changed things you know it, although you know it was always uh, risky to do what we do, and people have been getting fines and um and, and different orders and things. but now that these laws have come in, we're talking about up to two or talking about two years imprisonment or up to twenty two thousand dollars in fines, which is just it's amazing. Like, <clears throat> that's. Um, this is for ordinary people who are saying, please listen to us, come to the table and talk. But we're the criminals, not the people who are actually causing this to happen. We're going to keep going as long as we possibly can, day after day. We're going to keep showing the idiocy of these laws by getting on the road, by um, doing what they don't want us to do, because we know that this is, as I said before, this is just a tactic to silence all dissent. The only, um, so they've, they've made some rule changes so that the unions can do their demonstrations because you don't want to put off other people who have power, but yeah. I, what
2: Have they have they actually isolated uh, certain groups in relation to stopping road traffic?
9: Well, I'm, I'm not sure they've actually done it for, for stopping road traffic, but they've been a lot more lenient on unions and things like that, so that there's still some form of democratic process going on, but... Oh, well, so, so
2: what they're doing is pitting two interest groups against each other.
9: Yeah, in, in a way, what they're really doing is just they're making this so broad that mm. they can allow what they want and they can shut down whatever they don't want. Right. And the problem is the things that they usually don't want are the things that are about progressive um, action, about decency and about survivability. Uh, and of
2: them. course, Sydney is such a car oriented place.
9: Oh, yeah. It's like, OK, one of the reasons that this really blew up or one of the excuses that they were able to use to, to make this into such a big thing that they virtually illegally pushed through laws that weren't even having to, had time to be questioned by the other parties and things is because we had the gall to, to block the Spit Bridge on the day that the Minister for Roads happened to be driving to work <laughs> and She got very upset. She looked over to the car next to her and she saw the poor parents in the car with their children trying to go to school and she felt so bad for them and so bad for her having to wait five minutes that she decided, right, here we go. Let's go and change these laws and we'll get these hippies fixed. And it's like the absolute gall and selfishness of that is stunning. Mm.
2: That's interesting. Fascinating. I mean, it's just the lever loop um, little mindedness really, isn't it?
9: Oh, yeah, but also there are some, some funny things because the Spit Bridge, you know, is um, gets people to some quite wealthy places and some yeah, quite wealthy right. places. So uh, one of our people was actually being seen by a magistrate. The magistrate said, oh, and I should let you know, I was actually caught up in the traffic at the Spit Bridge the other week. Not that I'll hold that against you in my judgment. <laughs> <So it's, laughs> we've obviously affected the right people or the wrong people at the right or wrong time, depending on your perspective.
2: Thanks for talking to us, Danny. Good luck, eh?
9: Absolutely. Thank you. Have a lovely day.
2: You too.
4: Australia and the Pacific have borne the brunt of nuclear testing. And this was not done unconsciously. We found documents in the British archives saying that Yes, there is certain hazards, but only to primitive peoples, those that don't wear clothes and don't wash, unlike us British. So the sort of racism inherent in this whole operation was known and understood from the beginning that these were the casualties of a larger imperial policy and that they were able to bear the brunt because there were very small populations and didn't have much political voice. And as we fast forward to today, we see that same thing.
0: 3CR,
7: keeping you informed about Australia's nuclear past and present.
4: At such a time, it's important
3: to have a voice like 3CR, steady, constant, sane, and committed to a nuclear-free Australia.
4: A weak solidarity, Brittany team listener, when the shadow minister for being offensive and trained killing, Brendan O'Conkham, stuck it up over the government's claims the socialists are weak on defence, spend less than the coalition government on the merchants of death. The important figure Brendan put them in their place is the percentage of government outlays, 7.15% under the socialists on trained killing, 5.92% under the capitalists, and even more encouraging, Brendan and the socialists would spend lots more because the socialists believe in stability and peace. And the road to stability and peace is paved with the merchandise of the merchants of death – well, roads and waterways and airways, the latter two not exactly paved, pointing out it was the socialists who ensured US of the UN of the US of the world trained killer marines was stationed in Darwin to protect us from whoever's north of Darwin and the caring business class hayseed and cheap shit lot had allowed an evil evil Chinese company to operate the port of Darwin. Good good US of evil evil China. Not that Britain and told us who north of Darwin he had in mind leaving us scratching our heads but thankfully the socialists intend to spend trillions making us safe from whoever he does have in mind maybe it's Timor-Leste because we were forced to bug Timor-Leste's cabinet room to defend the rights to profit of one of the world's biggest polluters which wants to make a killing in all meanings of the word in the Timor Sea, the the ideal way government and the caring business class should work together and we know a solicitor is being charged with something or other we can't know about and he can't know about for the heinous crime of revealing we had bugged apparently evil Timor Leste's cabinet meetings. Because on grounds of national security, the matter must be dealt with in secret. Let's hope Timor Leste doesn't bug the courtroom. That would be a crime. And on such matters, True Blue Aussie is very, very angry with evil China for holding a trial behind closed doors on the grounds of national security. So maybe Timor Leste is the threat to our security Brendan is talking about. Remember a couple of weeks ago we commented on the grossly unjust announcement by the tax office that it would target family trusts, the ludicrous implication being that family trusts are used by the filthy rich to avoid tax. Well, the Socialist Party opened up the options it will consider should it land its bums on the government plus seats when its economic guru, Jim Chalmers, the big end of town, announced it would abandon its policy to tax family trusts altogether. We will do the right thing by people, he boasted, by not doing anything about the people who don't pay tax. A small reward for the wonderful contribution the rich make to society. In fact, Jim promised the socialists would not increase any taxes, a great start, ruling out their chances of doing much about anything, other than supporting lots of corporate welfare, which will have to be paid by decreasing the poorest of the poor welfare and non-essential services like health, education, public transport, public housing, and of course it must mean all that extra spending on trained killing and the merchants of death promised by Brendan. But then the poor won't mind going without, knowing they are being kept safe. Much more critical than wasting money putting a bit of food on the table, for instance, or a roof over their heads, or fulfilling that prescription, presuming they have a bulk-billing GP. The money that would feed us is much better spent on the merchants of death they will concede from their comfortable little gutters. With his usual honesty and sticking to the facts, Big Supremo scuttlebem more. Last son, a.k.a. Scummo, said Jim's commitment not to increase taxes showed the Socialist Party will let it rip on taxes. So given we can always rely on Scummo's word, we can but imagine how much worse things would be if he had said he would raise taxes. Worse if he had said he would increase taxes on the filthy rich although any taxes in their case would be an increase. Worse, worse, if he said he would use them for those non-essentials we mentioned, like housing, transport, health, education, a welfare system aimed at bringing some fairness into the equation. Scummo, speaking of Let It Rip also got stuck into the pejorative Dan state government for not letting it rip nearly enough. Obviously, far too few coronavirus cases and hospitalisations and deaths. Get rid of masks, distancing, isolation, those impediments to business doing its thing the way a proper responsible let it rip should work. The pejorative Dan lot countering with a pathetic, we're following the health advice. What would health experts know about a bitter pandemic compared to wise economists, experts on the greatest economic order of them all, leading to a brilliant piece of oppositional philosophy from the caring business class state shadow minister for letting it rip. Whatever her name is, I can't think of it. But anyway, yes, we have to listen to health experts, but don't outsource decisions to health experts. In other words, get the expert health advice and then totally ignore it. A perfect scenario for let it rip. Speaking of money, which we were, I'm feeling bitter, 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 and so hard done by listener. Thursday, I backed a winner, watched the race, and danced around wildly when the horse ran seventh. I won, I won! I yelled with excitement. And then the bloody TAB refused to pay me. Of course I won. Seventh is first, I insisted. Just ask our big supremo. Because we know in the seat of Cooked, so named because of its caring business class party pre-selection processes, all those years ago Scummo decided to throw his hat in the ring to see what he could stuff up after stuffing up the New Zealand Tourism Authority, after which he stuffed up the True Blue Aussie Tourism Authority, qualifying him to run the Caring Business Class Party, which couldn't be more stuffed up anyway, and proving his overwhelming popularity in a field of seven, Scummo was the first candidate eliminated. Seventh of seven. A bloke of Lebanese background finally winning. Uh, So he became the candidate. Oh, no, no. So who? Well, obviously, Scummo. A victory for seventh heaven over terrorism. Because after all, Lebanese background, who knows? Thank goodness Scummo's sorted that out. Better safe than sorry. Although, what happened to second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth? And how must they have felt? Well, pissed off, presumably, in more ways than one. Then again, he stood next to his predecessor the day before his predecessor's demise, swearing close, close friendship and with his arm around Malcolm Tunner Bull, presumably as it turned out, so Malcolm couldn't see the knife. Then again, again, he supported the democratic principles he espouses by removing the right of caring business class party members to choose the candidates of their choice just like his own pre-selection, really, in the interests of party democracy, and also because they were likely not to choose the candidates of his choice. And more importantly, he stressed, because he believes in supporting strong women, which he might have got away with if he hadn't then chosen Pollution Minister Susan Lees and Dregs. Susan celebrated her survival and exhibited her strength by giving final approval to Woodside with Prophet's latest contribution to saving the planet, the Scar Mother Earth Borough Natural Gas Project in Western True Blue Aussie, the biggest fossil project for at least a decade, which Woodside with Supremo Migo Neil before Capital said would bring climate benefits. She really said that. In the week, the intergovernmental panel said we must stop extracting fossils altogether, showing Susan and Meg are both strong women, strong enough to resist such economy-wrecking nonsense like the planet and its creatures should just maybe be considered in these matters. When Meg pointed out, the approval would deliver long-term benefits for shareholders. And the True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review pointed out Susan's and the WA Socialist Government's approval was applauded by investors. So it must be a positive. And When you say long term, Meg, do you mean as long as the planet survives your shareholders and investors' windfall? Under the law, our responsibility is to those shareholders and and the government's responsibility to those it represents is to uphold that law, which Susan, Lees and Dregs, a strong, strong woman, has recognised. But as pollution minister, doesn't she also have some responsibility for the planet? And where do you think this natural gas is? It's on the planet, you raving idiot. Well, that put me in my place. And anyway, Meg says the long-term fossil will be good for the climate because it will help its Asian customers decarbonize. Although, in fairness, carbon fossils decarbonising uh, a bit of an explanation there wouldn't have gone astray. Uh, and obviously, there must be no sun or wind in its Asian markets. On her survival as a strong woman, Susan said she was shocked when she realised branches were being stacked in her electorate, we assume by those opposed to strong women. Uh, just like the government is stacking all sorts of courts and authorities in the days before calling the election, Susan. There is no comparison. We, we are thinking of the country's future. And your assertion is an insult to these very, very capable apparatchiks, uh, Sorry, clearly qualified experts. Well, her concern for the future is evident in her approval of fossils all over the country. Finally, the last no proper papers queue-jumping illegal boat people in hotel prison have been turned loose on the community what's the government think it's doing when we all know what a major threat to our way of life are there, those seeking refuge from persecution? Scummo and Constable Peter Duffer have been warning us about these so-called people for years, for the past decade or so, seeking refuge from persecution by the Trouble of government. But I raise this as a warning, listener. They're out there. So if we can avoid it... Don't put our heads outside the door. True Blue Aussie is no longer safe. Observe Scummo and Constable Duffer's ever-reliable advice. Good morning.
8: Hi, I'm Ruby from Fitzroy Primary, and you're listening to Community Radio on 3CR.
2: And you're back with Annie on 3CR Breakfast, and uh, we've got uh, Maria Gona, Gona on the line. Is that how you say your surname? Grohner. Grohner, well, yeah, yeah. Sorry.
3: If you, if you want to pronounce it with a German <laughs> accent, it's Grohner. Grohner. Okay,
2: yeah. good. Um, and you're from Traveller's Aid, and uh, yes. Travelers Aid has decided to do a really great service called Time Out. Do you want to explain to my listeners what this is about?
3: Yes, so Time Out is essentially a care of respite program for those many unpaid carers that look after a loved one and our care respite program is a little bit different to some of the others so we actually take people out it can be the carer or the care recipient or it can be both together we take them for an outing of their choosing and make sure that they they can enjoy and connect to what they what, what they would like to enjoy so they could be for example Melbourne Zoo is a very beautiful place to relax and take a breath and you have the the whole caring responsibility that lies so heavily off many of our shoulders. You can just have a little bit of a break. You can go both together with your care recipient, for example, and we have a volunteer or a trained staff, depending on the needs, that that can accompany you and make sure you've got a pleasant experience there.
2: Taking the pressure off. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and and there's more practical, um, besides social activities of that nature, we're talking about things like uh, people needing to go to medical appointments, for example.
3: Exactly. So the same we can do for medical appointments, in particular um, regional Victorians who haven't been to Melbourne for the last two years because of COVID and really need to follow up on their medical care now but might feel slightly intimidated by coming back on public transport into the city and using public transport here. Our volunteers and staff can accompany you, to meet you at uh, Southern Cross Station or wherever you come in and then we can take you to your medical appointment either just the carer or the, or the person you care for and or both of you and, and we make sure that you get there safely and to then take you back again to your train.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. So it, it is. Uh, there are certain um, uh, things that people have to take into account if they want to use this service, don't they? Like there's a lead-up time, for example.
3: Yes, So we require bookings, uh, preferably um, 72 um, hours notice, three business days, because we need to allocate a suitable volunteer or staff member. And it has to be where you're going, it has to basically be accessible by public transport because we use the public transport network to to get people from and to places.
2: Yeah, so you're not and, you're not going to people's homes and picking them up. No, this is yes. all about within the um the system that you normally work with.
3: Yes, exactly. So our um mission is to connect to get to ensure people can connect, engage and participate using public transport. That's what we're all about. So obviously we want to encourage public transport use wherever it's possible. And, yes, there are lots of cases where public transport isn't available or not accessible, and, unfortunately, it's um, out of our scope.
2: Yeah, and also you're not there to replace people's... uh, You're not there to, uh, say, uh, shower or bathe people, you know, all those kind of intimate types of things. That's not your function. You're about actually giving people the ability to actually... uh, Enjoy uh, some social connectedness as well as uh, do some of the practical things that they need to do with some ease.
3: Yes, that's exactly right. So we do provide very limited personal care on these outings so it might be uh, meals assistance for someone um but we don't do any of that more complex personal care or where we find that on this just this one outing it's not safe for our staff to provide um toilet assistance that needs two people because it's a hoist involved and an adult change table so we wouldn't do that but um Guiding someone with vision impairment, or just being at their side, and very limited personal care.
2: So, how did this come about? This service was there a need that was expressed from your users?
3: Um, I think there is always a need out there to look after carers because they one in eight Australians um, care for someone in an unpaid capacity. So there are obviously a lot of us out there who care for someone, whether it's a parent or a, a partner or some other family member or friend, and uh, carers made a mix of different uh, options to choose from for carer respite, and funding has always been very limited and options have always been very limited. And. Um, For us it builds nicely on our existing program the companion service where we initially helped people to get to medical appointments but we've um, broadened that scope in the last couple of years as well so it just fits nicely into what we already do anyway.
2: Okay and so does that mean that the government has come on board with some funding?
3: The government has come on board with some funding, uh, which we have until the end of the financial year. So getting quickly, it runs out by the 30th of June.
2: (laughs) All right. Thank you very much, Maria, for talking to my listeners.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay.
0: system based on profits, inequality and oppression cannot deliver a society that works for ordinary people. Capitalism has to go. During this global pandemic, millions of lives have been sacrificed by the let it rip strategy, all for the sake of the capitalist economy. The far right is on the offensive in parliament and on the streets, and all the while our planet continues to burn. Now, more than ever, we need revolution. We Need Socialism. This April, the Marxism 2022 conference will bring together revolutionaries and radicals from across the globe to address the pressing need to fight the right and rebuild the left. Talks, discussions, film screenings and interviews will cover the history of working class struggle and burning questions for socialists today. Get your ticket to the biggest left-wing conference in Australia at marxismconference.org. We have a world to win.
2: Marxism 2022 is a 3CR supporter.
0: This is David Rovix and you are tuned
9: to 3CR, 8.55am Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do and everything can change.
2: And you're back with Annie on 3CR Breakfast. And we've got Chris Breen on the line. G'day, Chris. How are you?
5: I'm um, good. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, the reason why we're talking is because tomorrow is the Palm Sunday rally. And uh, there's lots of things to discuss regarding refugees, for example. Uh, a lot of people are being let out. Is, do you think it's a um, an election ploy?
5: Um... <laughs> <laughs> It is a quite an astounding backflip uh, by the coalition. I think, uh, in reality, they'd been beaten on the Medivac, uh, detention of Medivac refugees some time ago. Uh, the fiasco around Djokovic and their looming electoral defeat, perhaps the last straws. Um, and they've been slowly releasing them as a trickle, so it doesn't seem like a, a Um But as I heard journalists starting to ask this week, you know, what's different in law or policy this week than last week? And the answer <laughs> is, is, is nothing, um, other than the, you know, their political cruelty.
2: Yeah, political um, cruelty, nine years.
5: But, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's it's a very welcome thing that the Park Hotel prison is now closed, which yeah. is, I think, a symbol of that cruelty of the Morrison government. It's still not all of the Medivac refugees. There are still six Medivac uh, refugees held. There's uh, five in Broadmeadows and uh, one in Brisbane that I'm aware of. And you know, there's absolutely no reason to string out their torture another day longer. It's you know, uh, they they all need to be released, and we'll be calling for that um, at the rally on Sunday.
2: Did they actually get their medical treatment? These people
5: uh some did some didn't uh it depends on the individual cases i mean I know of um people who are waiting you know six months or more for uh psychiatric appointments um, other people who i mean you know for instance uh, Ramsey who was freed um last year, who had shrapnel on his head and and shoulder and um, was held by Australia for eight years in total. And it wasn't until he was released that he had the, the shrapnel taken out of his uh, shoulder. That was from the Civil War in Sri Lanka.
10: Oh my goodness, um, eight years?
5: Yeah. Uh, there, uh, so there were many people who didn't get treatment. <laughs> there are other people whose teeth were effectively destroyed by their time on Papua New Guinea, lack of dental treatment, the food they got. Um and uh, they were were told rather than getting uh, the dental treatment they needed, they needed to have their remaining teeth uh, just taken out because it, the I think it was a I forget, plate or a bridge is too expensive. Mm. Um, so some people got treatment, but a lot of them didn't. I mean, uh, Dutton even crowed about that on radio one time that people hadn't got medical treatment. But yeah,
2: well, because that's a good thing
5: uh, in his in his eyes, uh, yes.
2: What a what a terrible that sounds like a, he's a terrible person he's an allegedly terrible person <laughs> no
5: no no he is a terrible person
2: <laughs> um so palm sunday is an incredibly uh, inclusive a uh, rally actually isn't it because lots of people come together to uh express the the need for uh human um humanist uh values as well as uh, community uh, collectivism, don't they?
5: Yes, it is. It's, um, it's when the whole refugee movement comes together once a year. It's built by a, a coalition of groups from you know, the Refugee Action Collective that I'm in to the churches and Amnesty and the ASRC and you know, political groups. And there are everybody there from, you know, there'll be union contingents. There's people who come down from their churches. Um, it is a, a very a broad uh, rally calling for change. Um, and we, we'll be marching to the um, Park Hotel to, you know, celebrate those releases and hear from one of the released uh, refugees, but also to demand that the remaining uh, refugees are freed and that they all get some um, permanent visas.
2: Yeah because that's something that people should not forget that these people get released but uh they're on temporary um bridging visas and uh that mean has got very little uh, ability for them to actually uh, uh work uh have access to community they are reliant on charity
5: yeah, that's that's right. So they get released into a cheap motel where they can be for two or three weeks and then they're on their own. On the bridging visas, they've got no uh, access to welfare payments, the Um, They are allowed to work in most uh, cases, um, unless they're in community detention, they are allowed to work. But it can be very difficult to get a permanent job uh, when you're only on a six-month visa. And the other thing is these people have been locked up for eight, nine years. And so that means they haven't been able to work to build up skills. They haven't been able to get education. Um, It's very, very difficult for them to rebuild their lives in those circumstances. You know, they do need support and um, permanent visas.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about the alternative government, which is obviously community government that has sprung up effectively uh, as a support system for the refugees because that's effectively what's going on isn't it because uh, the government isn't the you know the legitimate government isn't actually doing pulling its weight it's the community that is running this
5: uh that's that's true there is um a huge range of support networks, from you know the established uh, charities like the you know the Bridgend Asylum Seeker Project, the ASRC Refugee Voices, uh, to a network of um, individuals who find homes for refugees, who find jobs, furniture. You know they they come out with absolutely. Uh, nothing, um, you know, and some of the, the refugee uh, communities where they come from themselves also play a, a you know, significant role.
2: Uh, it's funny because uh, it's a description of a government that is a leaner.
5: <laughs> uh, no, no, this, this government is, uh, I mean, they've, they've dumped, they've tortured these refugees for nine years. They've dumped them with uh, nothing and it is, uh, you know, ordinary people stepping up to help um, and the, the refugees who come out, they, I mean, it is a compensation. They shouldn't be dumped with nothing.
2: Yeah. So give the uh, the time and the place for tomorrow's rally. Uh,
5: the time is two o'clock at the State library. Actually, the other thing I should mention as well, the, the released refugees are eligible for the New Zealand deal, which is another oh, backflip yes. that the coalition did. Um, they could have done it in 2013 when it was first oh. offered... Um, But that is still going to leave 505 people who are offshore without... It it doesn't cover everyone, so they're without any sort of permanent um, uh, solution. And it also looks like being very slow, so nobody's yet gone to New Zealand. It doesn't look like anyone will till at least uh, September. And the medevac refugees and the children and families who came off Nauru, a lot of them have started to establish lives here. They have got jobs. They have got relationships and, you know, people they know. And they really should be offered resettlement in Australia.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's all these headlines, but when you get down to the um, nitty-gritty for individuals, it's a bit of a different story, isn't
5: it? Yeah, indeed, indeed. So I really encourage people to, to come along. Uh, we've we've won some things, but there's still an awful lot to, to win. There's a whole suite of deterrence policies that have to go.
2: All right, so it's 2 o'clock at State Library?
5: Uh, 2 o'clock at the State Library this Sunday.
2: Yeah. Thanks for talking to us today, Chris.
5: Thanks for having me on.
8: Gangsta, they judge me, feel it, let me judge me, pop. Better know how, my heart beat, put a chain and me, challenge, I'm a fucking, getting okay. on me, man, mash to the name, clean slap, fresh mouth, like a white guy, but ask my homies, some said mash to prince, mash to a super flat, I'm a flashy, set it dry, got the flat, on like my homies, put the blings on my chair, Great breaks on the road, ready for deposit, not just cut. By, it depends. Exactly. Now give me a time, homie. I just love to say, hey, enemies, and what's up to my eye.
4: Mitchell from Cut and you're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio. Subscribe now.
2: You're back with Annie on uh, 3CR Breakfast, and uh, we're at the end of the program. We uh, heard about the Duke uh, film that's on at the moment. Fascinating film, very funny, uh, uh, an easy. Thing to go and see. Uh, Fireproof Australia told told us about uh, the uh, new reactionary laws that the right-wing government in New South Wales has put up against protest uh, on roads and uh, also their climate action uh, for fireproofing Australia. Uh, this is the week that was followed. We uh, found out about Travelers Aid timeout program and uh, the Palm Sunday rally, which is on at 2pm tomorrow at the steps of the State Library. They're going to walk to the Park uh, Hotel to celebrate the uh, end of Park Hotel Prison. Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents and we'll go out with a Kate Vigo song. Watch now Don't
7: explain Just say